Okay, hello everyone, and welcome to the Actus Podcast, Talking CDI. The Actus Podcast is a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news and information relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. Today's featured Actus solution is the 2021 Actus National Conference. After a year in which we had to cancel our 2020 event, we're stepping forward to make ourselves and the CDI profession stronger than ever. We do hope you can join us right around the corner, October 25th through 28th in Dallas, Texas, for the return of our national conference. This is a live program. We're offering four tracks of dedicated CDI education at the Sheridan Dallas, focused on coding and clinical concerns, management, professional development, regulatory changes, outpatient CDI, and much more. Um, a few, just a few details about this event. We've had some questions. Uh, we are offering a, a virtual separate event in November, um, which will be called Next Steps. That will be our, that will be November 17th through 19th. If you are attending the live event, you get that for free as part of your attendance. It's also available for separate purchase. So if you are looking, if you can't come this year, and that's been the case for many folks, we do hope you can attend our virtual event in November. Okay, so my name is Brian Murphy, Director of Actus, the Association of Clinical Documentation Integrity Specialists, and I'm your host for today's program, Auto-Suggested Prompts and Clinical Validation. Today's show is supported by 3M Health Information Systems. 3M Health Information Systems, now with M-Modal, delivers innovative software and consulting services designed for a wide range of healthcare environments, from closing the loop between clinical care and revenue integrity, to computer-assisted coding, clinical documentation integrity, and performance monitoring, 3M can help you reduce cost and provide more informed care. All right, so I'm joined today by my co-host at left, Sharm Brody. Uh, Sharm is an instructor for our CDI boot camps, subject matter expert for us here at Actus. He's done a million of these shows with me, probably no, needs no further introduction, but I want to welcome her back to the show. Welcome, Sharm. Thanks, Brian. Hi, everyone. All right, great to have you here. Thanks. Next, I'd like to introduce our special guests. They're making their second return to the podcast, having been with us uh, back here in June, if you remember. We have uh, Corey Anderson. Corey is uh, Medical Director for Intermountain Physician Advisor Services and CDI, uh, where he has responsibility for physician utilization review, CDI, physician education, and physician appeals and denials. Uh, Corey is a hospitalist at one of Intermountain Healthcare's trauma facilities where he's worked for over 12 years. He's participated in several local and Intermountain system initiatives focused on improving patient care, clinical documentation, publicly reported data, and appeals. Um, got a great background, and I'm very pleased to have him back on the show to talk about today's topic. So uh, welcome, Corey. Thank you, Brian. Happy to be here, and thanks for having us back again. Absolutely. And uh, pairing up with Corey today is uh, Kirsten Jorgensen. Uh, Kirsten is the Systems Operation Director for Physician Advisor Services, also at Intermountain Healthcare. In this role, Kirsten supports operations for physician utilization review, CDI, physician education, and appeals and denials. She has over 20 years experience at Intermountain Healthcare, overseeing various aspects, including billing, RevCycle, CDI. Again, want to welcome her back to the show. So welcome, Kirsten. Thank you, Brian. All right. 
As always, I'm going to start with a poll question related to today's topic. Um, for those that aren't live with us today, might be listening um, on their podcast feed. We're asking folks today, how much faith do you put in your artificial intelligence or other tech platform to, to, to auto prompt physicians? And your options are full confidence, meaning you allow physicians to document by computer prompt. Uh, do you feel somewhat confident? We will review for accuracy and compliance. Maybe you're not confident. You, you either turn that feature off uh, or you maybe just aren't sold on it yet. You don't have this type of software, of course, and then um, not applicable or other. Love getting your other responses, and I will try to work those into the show when we return to the poll. But one final time, we're asking today, how much faith do you put in your AI or other tech platform to actually auto-prompt physicians to help them document uh, fully, somewhat, not confident, don't have this type of software or not applicable or other? We've got about two thirds of our audience that have voted. So I'm gonna go ahead, uh, close this out and we will come back to the results in just a few minutes. All right, as I mentioned, Dr. Corey Anderson and Kirsten Jorgensen, a special guest today. Corey and Kirsten, welcome to the program. Um, let's just jump right in with, you know, I, I was just saying before the show and and for those that might remember back in June, you, you know, you guys have a, a pretty robust program at Erna Mountain that's supported by some cutting edge technology. So hoping you could just start with um, an overview of the technology that you use, specifically the tools that you that you prompt physicians while they're charting uh, to give folks some context for what we're going to talk about. So could you just review that for us today? Maybe we'll start with you with you, Corey. Yeah, happy to do that, Brian. So just by way of a, a little background, at Intermountain Healthcare, we are a Cerner um, user. So that's kind of our EMR platform. I know whether you have Epic or Cerner, people always like to know how, how things interface. <clears throat> we use we are a 3M uh, partner as well, and we use that for all of our, our billing and coding and uh, things of that nature. We use the, the 3M tool uh, to develop a priority score. I think that's a fairly common practice um, in order to you know, accurately and efficiently and effectively hopefully surface the right cases to our CDI nurses to review uh, so that we kind of get the most bang for our buck in what we're looking at. But where we're trying to take the next step is using um, uh, the tool that, that 3M provides. And we have this, the 3M 360 Encompass and the CDI Engage One software is what we use is we try to use these nudges um, or prompts, if you will, that use natural language, natural language processing and natural language understanding to sort of be an at the elbow tool for the, the caregivers and the providers. And we do that in two fashions. One is we do have uh, nudges for the physicians as they're documenting around certain conditions. And the way we approach it is we, we look at a lot of our quality data and things where we see that we have opportunity uh, to improve, to better capture the complexity and accuracy of the patients we care for. And then we look at the nudges that are available to us um, with that tool. And we try to capture those kind of, we call them head slappers or some of that low hanging fruit, the obvious ones the physician should be getting, right? Your chronic kidney disease and you didn't put the stage 
And so as the physician documents, this tool can look and see the physician mentioned chronic kidney disease, but no stage, and it will nudge them to say, hey, I saw that you put chronic kidney disease, could you please put the stage? And the physician can go and uh, add that uh, specificity as they're doing their documentation. The flip side of that is we have nudges, or we call them evidence sheets, for the CDI nurses as well. And these are, um, I think, quite useful because some of the physician-facing nudges, we want to keep them very simple and straightforward. With the CDI nursing-facing nudges, we can make those a little bit more complex, where you can take a condition like sepsis, which we probably could spend hours you know, talking about what criteria to use and things of that nature. But we can say we want to look for, we use the SERS criteria, for example, one or two abnormal vital signs and antibiotics being given to the patient, but no documentation of sepsis, for example. And that can nudge the CDI nurse to say, hey, you should look at this and see if this patient actually has clinical evidence to support a diagnosis of sepsis. So that's kind of in some at high level how we're trying to use this nudge technology, both for our providers as well as our CDI nurses. Excellent. I yeah, I wasn't aware that it was nudging both ways. A lot of nudging going on at uh, Intermountain. Sounds like, <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> but in a good way. I'm stealing your term, head slapper. I've never heard that, and I was just laughing. I had to cover my mouth. Okay, I'm going to throw a question at you. So let's talk about some of the successes that you've had. Um, what's been reduced? I know query response rate might be one of them. Um, are your CDIs having to send out less queries? Has that been a success? Um, and likewise, people want to know what the challenges are. Um, do you have physicians that are resistant to these nudges, or even the nurses, since they're getting nudges too for the CDI nurses? Either yeah, one of you. you. Oh, sorry about that, Charm. Yeah, thank you so much for the question. Um, we definitely have seen some results that are we're really excited about. Um, I'll highlight two conditions in which we've historically seen a lot of query activity. Um, that we ended up setting up a nudge for. And the first example is encephalopathy. So we realized a 36% decrease in asking queries for encephalopathy when we did a year-over-year -year comparison um, prior to implementing the nudges and then after. Kind of the same methodology we used um, in evaluating malnutrition as well, and we realized a 39% decrease in asking that query Really, in some, we are seeing a decrease in some of those low-hanging fruit queries, which really is exciting because then we have the ability to have our nurses really use their clinical skills and dig in and find the more complex conditions that really need evaluation and decisions made about submitting a query. Um, we've also ran some numbers based on nudge responses to determine the impact to our team as a whole. and. With the implementation of this technology, what we found is it's as if we added 4.6 additional CDSRMs. Um, so we're, we're really excited to continue to optimize the tool and add, add nudge conditions um, when it's appropriate. And then, Sharm, as it relates to your physician question, I'm actually going to turn that over to Dr. Anderson to answer. So, Sharm, I would say, you know, a few of the things that we've seen that um, have been challenges. One is the delivery mechanism of these nudges. These are basically delivered in a little bar that you can move about your, your screen as a provider. And the reason it's been a little bit of a problem is that the, the queries that we deliver to providers in real time 
are delivered via the same mechanism as the nudges. And the reason that's been problematic is not always can the physician tell when they've been receiving a query or a nudge. And to say that we definitely don't want to miss queries, I mean, we absolutely want them to address nudges as well, but we understand that in the flow of the day and the busyness and things, sometimes you just are trying to get through the day as a, as a provider. And so that has not been as big of a, a, an ask from us. So we've really worked with uh, the 3M folks to be able to provide a way that distinguishes when a query is coming versus a nudge. The other thing I would say that's been a little bit of a frustrating thing is that when a nudge is presented, there are times when it clinically just doesn't fit the situation. And you can click out of that nudge in that moment, but if you log back into that encounter or that chart, it, it will nudge you again uh, if you didn't document anything different the previous time. And so we've really been pushing to ask for a dismiss option that will allow the provider to dismiss that um, permanently unless something clinically changed that would warrant the nudge to be presented again. So I think those are a couple of challenges and obviously with anything you're balancing nudge fatigue um, and I think we'll talk about that in a minute but we've really tried to balance how many of these we have turned on so that we're not just having our providers being nudged as Brian indicated a lot of nudging going on that we're not overdoing that uh, knowing all the other things that providers are facing um, not just you know in general but with COVID still going on and things of that nature, so. Right. Well, thank you. Yeah, good stuff. Um, yeah, you sort of addressed this a little bit, uh, Corey, but just wondering, um, you know, how, how do you, the big thing I, I hear from our members is, how do you know whether this technology is compliant? You know, some of it's a little bit black boxed and, and I get it because these are expensive, very expensive tools to develop. Uh, they're proprietary to, to companies that you engage with. Um, you know, but how do you know whether these clinical indicators support the diagnosis? Are you, you know, do you, how much transparency do you get? Are you, are you able to make modifications if you need to? Um, it sounds like you can turn off certain functions or remove nudges um, with some work there. So just, you know, speaking of the, the, the validation piece, um, just from working with the, directly with the vendor, how does that look? Yeah, thanks, Brian, for the question. So we definitely operate on the model of not just trusting, but verifying. And so we really performed a couple of rounds of audits from the software to really get a better feel of how the software is reasoning over the documents. These reviews have been enlightening to first understand the configuration settings of the tool, um, but then to realize we need to make some tweaks and adjustments. And so I'll give you an example of one of the things that came up as we started doing audits. We found that the tool was actually looking at clinical indicators from older accounts when a provider was going back and reviewing older notes. So we had an opportunity to address that. Um, we also found that the tool was set up to evaluate certain documents that we didn't want to include or even clinic accounts. Um, and so really in our audits, we've been, we've been able to identify some of those things. Um, in addition to audits, we actually received feedback from our frontline providers that really helped us evaluate the tool and if it's working in a compliant way. Um, we've made it easy for them to be able to connect with us because we actually put our, a contact email on the nudge for them. Um, so really, I guess, kind of in some, I would say that it's been a journey for us to get a comfort level with all the compliance aspects, but 
we've really learned so much and continue to learn about the tool as we try to make sure that it aligns with our policies and procedures. Um, Dr. Anderson, anything you want to add, and maybe even specifically about the modification component? Yeah, Brian, the only piece I would add to that is that there are uh, a set number of kind of out-of-the-box nudges that you could just turn on, right? But the I think the one benefit working with this tool with 3M has been the ability to customize some of these nudges. Now, that doesn't always happen in a quick fashion. There are times that it takes a little bit longer to get that the way that you want it. But we are able to look at those nudges, and if they fit, great. But if some of the lab values or some of the clinical criteria do not fit what we at Intermountain have accept as accepted um, you know, criteria for our organization, we're able to customize those to fit the needs that, that we have so that we're not having you know, miscommunication to our providers about what's expected and what they should do or shouldn't do. So that has been really nice uh, to be able to do with this tool. Great, appreciate that. Very nice. I'm going to switch gears a little bit and um, throw a clinical validation question at you. So with clinical validation, do you actually use CDI? Um, and what is the process for your clinical validation? And do you trust the AI? Um, when do you actually have some, <laughs> I like humans, intervene in the process? So I'll let Sharm, I'll let Kirsten talk about um, the, the nurse side of it, but just from a clinical validation piece, so yes, around certain conditions, we actually have done a lot of work with our compliance department, partnering with our CDI team to develop accepted criteria, kind of as I mentioned, within our organizations that we can disseminate to all providers, both CDI team, frontline physicians, APPs, et cetera, so that we're all kind of operating and playing on the same field. With the nudges specifically, as I mentioned, we're kind of we kind of try to gear those for the physicians around those um, fairly straightforward, as I said, kind of the term head slappers that are just the low hanging fruit, so that um, they really are not super complicated in what's being asked of the physician. So, as I mentioned, chronic kidney disease was one which is fairly straightforward to to answer and doesn't require a lot of in depth um, sort of validation to that, other than some lab values. Heart failure is another one. Acuity and uh, type is something that, that we nudge for. Uh, the type of encephalopathy in terms of specificity. And we've really narrowed it, as I said, to a couple of very simple, straightforward conditions so that we're not asking our physicians to have to really um, you know, do complex, uh, complex things while they're trying to take care of the patients. The more complicated ones, as I mentioned, like sepsis, uh, respiratory failure, uh, that have some different criteria that can be a little bit um, kind of muddy or weedy, those we send to our, our CDI nurses so that they as a human being can validate whether that nudge is appropriate or not and whether a query is warranted or not. And I think that's where we really probably leverage the human piece um, in those complicated conditions more than anything is with the nudges towards our CDI nurses. Oh, very nice. All right. Yeah, I mean, I would... Go ahead, Kirsten. Oh, yeah. I was, I was just going to add um, nothing significantly more than what Dr. Anderson said, but I think it's just really important to be mindful of this challenging time that we're in with the pandemic and to put nudges out in front of providers that we trust, like Dr. Anderson spoke to. And then um, we definitely want the ones that require any sort of judgment or decision making um, going to nurses. Um, and we really focus on that from the standpoint of 
having them use their clinical judgment and then aligning to our policies and procedures. So um, anyway, thanks for letting me chime in there. Yeah. And Brian, real quick, I would add that the CDI nurses can see when a physician dismisses a nudge and do not answer it. So they can actually take a look on the human side to see did there really was a really clinical reason for that nudge to appear and should they actually query the provider about it. So yeah, good stuff. Okay. It, it's interesting to yeah see how the people work into the process um, and and uh, how that looks in in real time. It's not just how how nine thousand doing a, a high level overview of, the, <laughs> of what's going on and that's that's a um, reference from an old movie probably most folks haven't heard of Stanley Kubrick look it up but um, you know some great stuff here I, I guess the last thing was just any final takeaways you know from our audience I know some folks are, are considering moving to solutions like this um, anything you might recommend before implementing and and if, if you're up, up for it if sharing any uh, mistake you, you maybe you made while implementing that you could help folks avoid yeah, so we have a few lessons learned, I think, Brian, and takeaway. One is I, I think first and foremost, the technology still does not replace the human-to-human -human interaction and the value of, you know, physician advisors or CDI nurses interacting, you know, with uh, physicians on the front line for education and, and things of that nature. It's to supplement and augment, but it's not going to come in and replace the value that those humans bring to this work first and foremost. I would say really what we've learned is to start small. Um, it's tempting to see all these nudges and think this is just fantastic. Let's turn on, you know, 27 and go go wild. And what we've really learned is you need to keep it very, very tailored to, you know, three to five, three to six nudges. And you can parse those out by clinical service lines. So you can have a set for your hospitalist. You can have a set for your cardiologist, a set for your surgeons, et cetera but really keep it simple and, and low volume so that you don't overwhelm the providers. We'll get better engagement with, with less than turning on more, I think. The other thing is we really leverage our quality data to drive what we turned on, which is important. And I think the other piece is having good data as far as outcomes of this work to be able to share with your teams as well as with the providers so that they see the value that this is bringing. One thing that we did do and we've kind of um, tried to, to lean on is we created a test group using our physician advisors um, for nudges. So any new nudges we want to consider, we turn it on just for that group of docs within our group to kind of uh, work out the pain points and see how it's functioning. And if it's meeting the clinical criteria that we're looking for, if it's nudging appropriately, clearing appropriately, et cetera. And so I think that has been extremely helpful so that we don't turn something on to the masses and fail miserably and, and lose engagement um, quite quickly. That said, I think the same applies for the test group. You can't turn on too many or you just overwhelm those docs as well. And as engaged as they are, we all kind of have our tipping point or breaking point where uh, it gets to be too much. And so I think that's another lesson that we've that we've learned in this. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. I, I love that suggestion of having a test group and maybe folks that are somewhat in the know, maybe physician advisors, if you've got a robust physician advisor program, so that you're not just unleashing it on your on your busy providers. So great stuff. All right. Well, thank you, guys. I'm going to go ahead and jump back to our poll question. Again, we asked folks today, how much faith do you put in your artificial intelligence or other tech platform to auto prompt physicians. 
So about a third, 31% don't have this type of software, but of, of those that do, our majority, 43% said somewhat confident they will review for accuracy and compliance. Probably echoes what you guys said, uh, Kirsten, I think what you said, test but verify. 4% um, do describe it as full confidence. They'll allow physicians to, to computer, to document by computer prompt. And then 16% are not confident and will turn off that functionality or they just aren't sold on it at this time. Um, any comments on that? I'm gonna look, take a look at our open responses, but any initial thoughts on that, Corey or Kirsten on the poll results? I think, Brian, that probably fits right in line where, where most of us are at. And I, I think you, you mentioned it, Kirsten mentioned it. I think we, we are somewhat confident, but we definitely are still in the stage of being very uh, judicious and scrutinizing things carefully to make sure that it is accurate and compliant um, with, with what we hope. Yeah, great. A couple comments that came in. Someone says, hi, Corey and Kirsten. So there you go. Um, <laughs> Do not, Hello. <laughs> uh, we had CAPD, but turned it off because it was not working. We employ a lot of suggested diagnoses and phrases. I and others in my department hate them, but the docs use them. Um, someone asked if the builds into your EMR, I think you've answered that, that it's actually uh, 3M overlaying Cerner. Um, yeah, love this concept, could be used in outpatient. And someone did get my 2001 Space Odyssey reference. So there you go, HAL 9000, look it up. <laughs> Not comparing these products to HAL 9000, but had to work that in. All right, so that will uh, do it for our poll question. I'm gonna go ahead and, and close that out. At this point, I do wanna hop over to a um, our in the news segment, again, for those that are regulars, listeners to the show in the news is a regular feature I bring about the latest news and information going on in the CDI profession or stuff that just I find interesting that's somewhat CDI related. Um, this particular article, of course, is related to today's topic. It's Kaiser Permanente researchers push the envelope with AI and NLP. I initially saw this in um, healthcare IT news uh, this, the article is worth reading in full, and as I always do, I will uh, provide the link to this in the show notes. But really, to summarize at a high level here, this was a research project done by Kaiser Permanente on the presence of valvular heart disease. So the article here from Kaiser is really a summary of a study that was done um, and published in the Cardiovascular Digital Health Journal. And again, the, it was a large study. Um, it was, a, they, they used this NLP algorithm to look for uh, valvular heart disease in about, gosh, there was about 520,000 patients, about 927,000 available echocardiograms. Uh, and what they did was they were looking for the presence of this in these encounters, these are, these were echo reports performed between 20, 2008 and 2018. They actually compared the accuracy of this AI NLP with coded data. So they compared it with the ICD-10 diagnosis codes that were coded to these reports. Um, and they were coded either 14 days before or six months after the procedure date. Um, and what they found was the, the NLP was actually a lot more accurate than diagnosis codes 
for for identifying uh, this this condition. It was um, aortic stenosis, AS to be precise here. Um, and the, the report found that leveraging machine-based learning opportunities on unstructured electronic health record data can facilitate more effective individual and population health management than using administrative data alone. Um, good interview again. It was th that that was Healthcare IT News did. They they interviewed some of the researchers at, at KP about uh, this project, the proposal, how they met the challenge and results. Um, and one of the quotes I liked was uh, this uh, individual from Kaiser Permanente said, "In minutes, the software identified nearly 54,000 patients with the condition." process that would have taken years for physicians to perform manually. So they're able to quickly identify um, where this existed. So um, just an interesting study, large scale. Um, I know not everyone has the resources to do this, but it's interesting to see what other hospitals are doing. Just curious if you had any thoughts about this article, Corey and, and or Kirsten, about uh, the power of these tool, uh, tools for the future and for future studies like this. Yeah, Brian, we you know, we were chatting about this before the show, and I think this this is fascinating, and I think this is kind of one of the next steps with this technology. I'll be honest, at Intermountain, we have not kind of taken this leap um, in this regard with the technology, but I will say we've had many discussions about it. Um, not necessarily around echocardiograms specifically, but in other ways, leveraging this sort of technology to identify, you know, we're a big value-based organization and uh, better identifying our at-risk patients when they come into our facilities, knowing that that's very time sensitive as far as where they're discharged to and costs that's uh, associated with that, different sepsis uh, issues and, and early identification for better care delivery, things of that nature. So. We haven't stepped out there yet to do it ourselves, but we've definitely been having the, the discussions about it. And I, I think that's kind of the future of this uh, on some level. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're right at the top of the hour. I just want to remind folks quickly um, about our Actus update that our, our 2021 CDI salary survey is open. Just clicked on it here. It's right on that top slider bar on actus.org. It's a pretty lengthy survey, probably 30 questions if I'm correct, maybe 25, but it takes just a few minutes. We ask about your position and, and obviously your salary. The, the, the individual results are anonymous. It's we're, we're gathering this data and sharing this information so we can get a handle on where folks' salaries are this day. One of our popular surveys, if you haven't yet taken it, please go ahead and uh, take a couple minutes to do that. All right, that is going to do it for today's edition of the Actus Podcast, Talking CDI. For those joining us live, we'll see you back here again. We're, we're off cadence a little because we're joining you back here instead of our two-week schedule next week. Uh, this is our Actus Conference send-off. We're going to be talking a little bit about the upcoming conference, but focusing on a, a separate session that we have on, um, on um, quality metrics and, and cardiology. So hope you can join us for that show. Uh, if not, you can listen to the show recordings anytime on our website or via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. We do post those immediately following the, the live program, so you can go ahead and listen on your own. As always, if you have any suggestions for future guests, ideas about the format of the show, you like today's show, you want something similar or different, send me an email at bmurphy at actus.org. That will do it. Thanks again, Corey and Kirsten, very much. Great job today. And for everyone else, we'll see you back here again in one week.